0: Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash holybackboard. Over 180,000 titles to choose from on your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player.
1: Let's go! go.
0: Come on, everybody, and let's get to
1: All right, everybody. Welcome to the 83rd edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin here in sunny Rip City, and I got my man
0: Sage here chilling in Southern Oregon. It is hot as balls down here, and I'm really ready to talk basketball. But we've got a fantastic guest, the team mom, Tara Biggs. What's up, Tara?
2: Not much. Always a pleasure to talk to you guys. Can't wait to talk about what's been going on in this off season. There's been lots going on, and I can't even keep track of it. So, looking forward to asking you guys what you think.
0: You're definitely moving up the uh, guest appearance ladder. I, I don't think you'll get above yes. Evan, but you're definitely, definitely in second place, I believe.
1: She's I definitely in our starting try.
0: five.
2: Wait, I'll add it to my resume and my LinkedIn profile.
1: For 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 Blazer fans, it's been an off season that was kind of one day, and it was the NBA draft, and we we've discussed the NBA draft. Sage and I had our knee jerk reactions about um, trading 15 and 20 and moving up to take Zach Collins and then taking Caleb Swanigan at 26. Uh, before we jump into free agency and summer, what are your thoughts of the two newest Blazers, both big men? Are you asking me? Yep, it's all you, Tara. <laughs>
2: Okay. So, uh, I, I, uh, with Collins, I hadn't, I didn't really know much about him. I went back and I looked at where other, like where the mock drafts had projected him going and they had him going right around between like 10 and 13. Um, so I feel like he was picked at a reasonable time. Um, I was at the spirit of 77 on draft night with, um, Peter Sampson was doing a live show from there. Super fun. Anyway, when the uh, when they announced that there was um, a trade and the Blazers were going to be involved in a trade, everybody got super excited and then was like, "Sweet, we moved up or whatever." And then when they announced that Collins, it was just like silent, and it was like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> but you know, I I think um, I think it'll be nice to have uh, more backup, uh, mobile backup big men. It's funny because last year at this time we were all panicking because we had a log jam at the front court and at the end of the season like the only man standing was Myers Leonard.
1: <laughs> it's true. We were dying for centers. I think people forget that we had um, Alfred Camino play, played center during the Golden State Warriors series. Uh, he is not a center. He is at, at the at the most a stretch four and only during certain situations. So It, it is funny. You look at the roster now and you've got Nurkic, Collins, and Leonard at, at the five. And then you've got Vonley, Swanigan, Ed Davis at the four. And Aminu, who can play the four as well. Definitely looking like a logjam. I still think Neil has something up his sleeves. Uh, I think he's played it smart so far and will go into free agency by not jumping into it. I think Portland's going to end up with a value play similar to what they received in the summer of 2013. When for whatever reason, Mo Williams was just sitting there in August and we got him for not much over the veterans minimum. And he came in and had a pretty strong impact, basically won us game four of that rocket series uh, with that that clutch three point shot. So that signing alone with that game was well worth it. And we're seeing teams are being a little more fiscally responsible. They're not just throwing Mozgov and Luol Deng and Evan Turner offers out there um you're seeing owners be not frugal but throwing a bunch of money at subpar to mediocre players and that just throws a wrench into everything and all the owners get into a bidding war and i know it's great for the players but in the end that's how we start getting into lockouts and amnesty clauses and all of this so while it sucks for portland that we had to overspend last summer i think for the league as a whole it's good that we're moving in this direction but back to the log jam Ed Davis, one year left on his deal. Aminu, two years left on his deal. We know Myers has three, and then we got the young guys, and Nurk's obviously up for his extension. Uh, Sage and Tara, who is the odd man out there?
2: You mean in the rotation? Like, who's not going get, to get
1: minutes? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think there's at least one or two. But if if you had to put, pinpoint at least one to start out, um, and you can't say Myers because I, I think everyone's going to go to Myers. <laughs> like, who who's not going to get minutes that got minutes last year? What do you think, Sage?
0: Ed Davis, maybe, because they 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 drafted a guy who can essentially do everything Ed does, and potentially a little bit more offensively. So it might be Ed Davis. He could be tr- a tradable asset because it's not it's an uh, expiring deal. So he might be the odd man out.
2: Yeah, I looked at the at the two picks between you know besides um, Collins. Uh, uh, also, along with Swanigan, I looked at the, those two picks as like kind of the next man up behind Davis and Vonley in case they leave or are traded in the next year. Because I don't think that those two are going to get a lot of playing time, um, so I don't know that they're really going to take a lot of of time away from folks. Stotts just isn't, as far as I can tell. I was trying to look at the numbers on how much he plays rookies. It's more of a gut feeling than I um, just, a, I did a cursory look and, you know, he doesn't play his rookies a whole lot. And unless it's like, you know, Damian Lillard and they hand him the keys to the, um, to the, to the car, uh, you know, both CJ and Crabb were injured somewhat their rookie year, but I really don't think the plan is to have the, them play a whole bunch. I believe it's more like preparation for if we can't afford to keep Noah Vonley or if we want to um, trade away or if Ed Davis ends up leaving.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that, that's a good call. I think they will bring Collins and Swanigan along pretty slow again, from my point of view, from what I've seen of him, and I actually just watched on the Big Ten Network, it was uh, his game. He had almost a triple-double against Iowa State in the, the second round of this past NCAA tournament. He looks like he's ready to go. I don't know if he's got the upside as Collins, but the thing he does better than almost anybody in college basketball is rebound the ball. That sure. is the one skill that you look at from players, big school, small school, whatever, Kenneth Freed, Paul Millsap, You know those guys are going to come in. It doesn't matter where they're drafted to what team. That is one skill that translates. So that's got to be exciting if you're a Blazer fan. He also has a really nice touch when it comes to passing the basketball. And it's great because Nurkic does as well. And so those guys are able to play high, low, um, whatever. You're able to run the offense through them if need be. Um, Obviously, he's got work to do. He's only a 20-year-old rookie, and I don't expect him to play big rotation minutes, but I think the plan will be to bring them along a little bit slowly. Ed Davis is going to be ready. I think Ed's probably going to be one of the first or second big men off the bench. But if I'm playing Nostradamus here, or, or you know Miss Cleo, I think they're going to use Ed, they're going to use Ed as trade bait, and he's got a very attractive contract. Yeah, I would be very surprised if they brought him back. Like you mentioned, they brought in Collins and Swanigan as like a next man up sort of philosophy. Not really any reason to bring Ed Davis back next year if Collins and Swanigan show any sort of promise Mm. and practice. So you bring Ed in, you give him those 15, 20 minutes off the bench, fully healthy, hopefully he plays like the 2016 Ed Davis, and then you've got a really nice trade ship right there, the expiring deal. A lot of teams aren't going to have as much cap space as they want in the summer of 2018, which is unfortunate because that's when all of the big-name free agents are coming out. So that's what I kind of expect um, out of that rotation. Obviously, I think they would trade Myers as soon as they can. There's just not going to be a taker. I don't know if he's going to get another chance with the Blazers unless there's injury. And, you know, knock on wood, I don't want to see anyone get injured. But I would be very surprised if he's ahead of Zach Collins in that center spot. Um, Nurkic is going to get the minutes, but they're going to want to monitor his minutes. You know, you d- they don't. Neil O'Shea talked to that draft press conference about Basically calling Denver out saying you guys gave us a busted ass player like in terms of how you were training him like one leg had, you know, too much, you know, muscle, not enough, you know, bone density or I'm just paraphrasing kind of off the top of my head. But he basically said, Denver, what the hell were you guys doing? So it's going to take time. They're going to be smart with Nurkic. Nurkic. Nurkic is the future. He's also up for a big extension. Von Le is going to be a restricted free agent. So while we're not going to win the championship next year, a lot of stuff that happens in 2018 could shape the front court for the foreseeable future in Portland. And, you know, it really lies on those young bigs. You know, mm-hmm. Noah looked so good with Nurk. Um, can that continue? I would love to keep Noah Vonley back. Sage and I just gush over his defensive, you know, instincts and how he's able to, to switch. He's very versatile on the defensive on the floor. And he showed some nastiness with Noah or with, with Nurkic on the floor. He was dunking on a lot of people. And you could see the confidence rising in his game. So it's going to be a big summer for those guys to to get gelled, to come out of the gate. You know, the West is stacked, so they can't you they can't you know stumble out of the gate this year. And you're really looking to see what what they've got. But you know, back to Myers, I, I just don't know if they're going to give him any run unless it's a blowout game. But I think, I think Portland's
0: we, toxic for him. I mean, the fans have turned on him
1: yeah
2: yeah I i the the best case scenario and it would be like somebody would make a movie out of it it would be so good would be if Myers Leonard came out this year and had a monster year and just silenced everybody and was everything that we've been hoping that he could be all along that's the best case scenario I think for his uh his psyche and his for his chance to get a refresh I think it would be good for him to go somewhere else I think there's some really specific places that he would do really well um but when you hear the players on the Blazers talk about Myers they love Myers they love love having him at practice he's super smart he learns everything quickly so I mean I you know keeping somebody around for 10 or 11 million dollars a year to be a good practice guy I don't know if that is really (laughs) tenable However, it's not like he's going to bring absolutely nothing to the table. It's not like he's shunned in the locker room and nobody talks to him and he sits all by himself at the end of the bench. You know, if he doesn't play a lot, I still think that he does bring uh, value to the team, not necessarily commensurate with what his current, um, you know, contract says, but I don't think he's nothing.
0: I think that he was drafted in 2012. A trend that I've been noticing with getting superstars. If the GM loved them as a rookie, they trade superstars for them. It happened with Boogie. It happened with Paul George. It happened with Jimmy Butler. we got to find the GM that loved Myers Leonard coming out of the (laughs) draft and just take their star player. That's what we really need to do. Uh, I don't know who it is. It might be Chicago for the Illinois thing, but we just need to find that GM that loved Myers Leonard
1: And Fleece them. (laughs) Charlotte loves white big men, too. Nico Batum, come back home.
0: Mm.
1: But I watched. So Dame retweeted uh, a clip of his summer league debut. And there were highlights of Myers. And I remember Myers looked so good as a rookie. And then he kind of continued that into that series with Memphis and this, it almost just seemed like one injury and it all went down. It's like it's just a spiraling out of control. Everything snowballed and Myers is having the equivalent of a two-year, no good, very bad day.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I think for his psyche, like you said, he needs to be traded. And it's not, it has nothing to do with whether I like him or not. The fans have obviously made up their mind. It would take a lot for them to turn back in. Portland fans, while very passionate, also like to find scapegoats. And I think that's a little bullshit, but that's the nature of of this city. And it's been that way ever since 77. Lionel Hollins, I was reading, um was was booed. Just booed. they didn't care for him at all. You know, he didn't live up to expectations and all of a sudden they started winning and he was the best defender in in the basketball in the perimeter. And they won the title with him and his jersey's retired. And now everything is, you know, kind of, you know, time heals all wounds. But I don't see that coming out of Myers Leonard. So, at I, least like in I said, Portland, H, it's gonna have to. I just hope he finds another fit. Like I feel like he's gonna put too much pressure on himself. Um, he's not gonna get a lot of minutes, so he's gonna have to come in and produce right away, and that's already hard enough. So, but the problem is, what what GM's gonna take on thirty million dollars?
2: I I think I think it's entirely possible somebody will take it on. That's just. It's it's just how things work. I mean, like we never know. We we keep thinking that GMs are going to do the thing that's logical to us. Mm -hmm. And how often does that really happen? You know, there's so many other layers to how a player comes. And if you think about it. Once Myers leaves Portland, I'm, he'll be welcomed by his, uh, his by a mm-hmm. new team who's like, "We'll show Portland what they lost in him." Just like exactly like we did with Nurkic, we're like, "Denver, you let him walk away, and we're gonna take him." And you know, we love him. And I, the, the same thing. This could be a segue into the topic we want to talk about tonight. We're seeing that where you know players who get a bum rap somewhere get a new life somewhere else. DeVale McGee is, you know, a perfect example of that. What's going to happen? Swaggy P is going to the team from the Bay Area.
0: Well, I wasn't Chauncey Billups that. hated? Like, people didn't think <laughs> Chauncey Billups was going to be a good player. For a lot of it, years. It's, it's, a lot
2: of times, you yeah. they can just really thrive once you get a new uh, new surroundings.
1: Portland's known for that. I mean, ever since I've been a fan of the team, we've picked up guys and gave them re- refreshes. We traded Strickland and turned Rasheed Wallace into a multiple-time all-star. Um, Stacey Ogman came back. And re- Greg Anthony, those guys, like, had decent careers, but they really performed well in their roles with that 2000 team. J.R. Ryder, I mean, again, some, somebody that we kind of took from Minnesota. You know, he was falling out of grace there. And he was our leading scorer the year we went to the Western <laughs> Conference Finals. Even he a didn't couple exactly years ago, have
2: a sterling reputation here. <laughs> he, wasn't but exactly I'm saying, he
1: he played fantastic here, though. I mean, we do, and we turned him for Steve Smith, so like we were able to flip. him. It's like, it's like a house. We flipped him into another better player, and then you look at Maurice Harkless. We're still never going to deliver that pick to Orlando, and mm-hmm. he is now a starting small forward caliber person in this league. So Portland does a great job of finding players that other teams. Maybe they've worn out their welcome elsewhere for whatever reason. And if Portland's going to improve, it's not going to be during free agency. It's going to be through the draft and those type of trades. So it's up to Neil to identify young players who have fallen out of flavor and, you know, buying low. Mm-hmm.
2: I'm so sad that guy from Orlando's not there anymore. That GM that we just kept taking all his stuff from him. <laughs> we took um, Mo took from him. We took Shabazz from him. Oh, I'm so sad that he's gone. That's probably why he's gone. Because <laughs> he just kept <laughs> handing over everything to us.
0: <laughs> you answered your own question there. Didn't he trade Tobias <laughs> Harris for nothing, too?
1: It wouldn't surprise me. So, Summer League has started. And Portland finally gets to showcase their rookies, their young, their young players, This weekend, you know, the Vegas um, went to a a tournament format a few years ago. So Portland's guaranteed these three games Saturday against the Utah Jazz Sunday against the Boston Celtics, which I pray Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown play in, which they probably won't. They're playing in the Utah Summer League. Um, And then July 11th, Tuesday against the Spurs. You're guaranteed at least five, depending on how many you win. But I love this weekend because... I love overreacting about summer leaguers. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but to be fair, you can tell when a player has it. I saw it the moment Brandon Roy played his first summer league game, and I saw it that first game uh, Damien Lillard played against uh, Sage, your New Orleans Hornets at the time. We actually watched that game yeah, right so at my was house.
0: Shitty, that was like a shitty experience for me.
1: <laughs> that was an amazing experience for me because Dame put the team on his back. He hit the game winner over Austin Rivers, uh, a lottery pick during that same draft. And you, you knew Dame was ready right then and there. He he was going to be um, a perennial all-star, the keys to the franchise, like without exaggeration. Now, there are also fool's gold. Javale
0: McGee looked like the best center I've ever seen in a summer league game against uh, the New Orleans Hornets. Like, he dunked it on some 6'7 center. Like, so there are Fool's Gold players.
1: The biggest one was Jared Bayless, and I fell so hard for him. I thought he was going to be the the super sixth man, potential starting two guard. Like, he showed so many flashes, but, like, he won Summer League MVP. He was getting to the line, like, 15, 16 times a night. Uh, he just looked dominant. But Neil O'Shea said something one time about that, and it's like, the GMs around the league knew that wasn't sustainable. No rookie is going to get to the the line that many times or have the ball in their hands and just give the green light. And that's the offense. And you can kind of tell, okay, that's all how Bayless was scoring. So when you watch these rookies in summer league, does it look easy for them? Can they score in a plethora of ways? Are they providing, you know, two way, um, two way play on both ends of the court. And, you know, this draft class, I've watched quite a bit of summer league so far. And, It's living up to the billing. I mean, Fultz looks great. Jason Tatum looks magical. Jalen Brown from last year made that step. I mean, you've got so many guys. And and Donovan Mitchell, who um, Utah moved up for 11 spots, looks super legit. And so my only thing when we're watching Zach Collins and Caleb Swanigan is, one, don't freak out if they suck, but please don't suck because... This draft is so loaded, we we can't we can't find the two guys that weren't any good. Like that's just my thing. Like just just look okay. And I understand summer league is a guard oriented, a guard dominated you know mm. week in July. I completely understand that. But I've seen there's some bigs. There's plenty
2: of dunks too. Yeah, Bam of- Bam
1: Adebayo looks great for Miami. T.J. Leaf's had a couple good games for the Pacers. So, just just show me all I'm asking for out of Swanigan and Collins. Just show me something.
0: So, who was your biggest Summer League overreaction? It was Jared Bayless. Mine was Patrick Young. I thought he was going to be so good. And How long ago was he? Oh, <sighs> four years? I think three years. Patrick Young, okay. senior at Florida. He It was the Julius Randle draft. I don't remember when that was, but okay. it was rookie Patrick Young versus Rookie Julius Randall, and Patrick Young was owning him, and I thought, yes, a steal. And now he's playing in Turkey. Uh. So you know, overreactions happen, but I totally thought I was right on Patrick Young.
2: So when I go to summer league, I watch for something a little bit different that sounds like than than what you guys um, are looking for. I I watch for because um, I I go every year, and um, I sit like right behind the bench. And I like to see the progress of, like, the team aspect of it and to see how quickly they fit into what the regular routine of what um, playing in games is like. And it's really fascinating. I actually wrote about this a couple years ago where, um, like, the first game, they came out and they were, like, um, during... They were just kind of all sort of... They, like, did their warm-up routine coordinated and then the game started and then it was just kind of, like you know, they, they kind of wander over to the bench during the, um, you know, timeouts. And they kind of like, some people would talk to this coach and some people will talk to this coach. And then like Damian Lillard was there talking to some people and it was kind of like, uh, you know, very disorganized. And as the time went on, they get more and more organized and focused. And that's like something that I like to watch for, like how, how quick and which players are the ones who start paying attention really fast. And I also like to see who steps up in terms of leadership. Um, Last year, a lot of people thought that it was going to be Noah Vonley's uh, big year because, you know, he'd been in the league for a few years and he was going to just come and dominate at Summer League. And he actually had a pretty frustrating Summer League. You could tell he was having a hard time getting in the rhythm. But the person who really impressed me with his his leadership ability last year was Pat Connaughton. He was a floor general. I mean, even if he wasn't handling the ball, he was like kind of the go-to guy that all the other guys were looking to. He was doing tons of pointing, telling people where to go, indicating where he was going to go. I like watching for those kinds of things. There's just too many players for me to keep Mm -hmm. track of. Like I always get the program and I make notes about all the players that I remember and stuff, but I still, as soon as it's over, like I forgot. The only person I remember from last year was um, Brandon Ingram, Chris Dunn, um, I watched uh, Simmons play in a game, you know, so I, I got to see all that. But but I like to watch, like I said, like the whole sort of player development in terms of how do you approach a game.
0: No offense, because I love you. But that's like some <laughs> of the nerdiest shit I've ever heard.
2: <laughs> I think it might be mom stuff. <laughs> you take notes? <laughs> oh, I have, well, I, so I don't have, I can't remember stuff like you guys do. And not only do I take notes. Okay. This is a funny, maybe I have I already told the story about me and all the ladies standing around the phone chart, the cell phone charger.
0: No, I, no, no,
2: no. <laughs> they, they have cell phone chargers throughout, you know, the area so people can get all, and it's usually like, um, like desperate looking, um, foreign scouts, you know, like from, from different leagues who are like, have one bar and they're trying to call in about somebody and they're all plugged in trying to, you know. But me and a group of all women kind of took over this, this one area. And we were talking about, like, it was amazing. Like some of them had been coming for 10 years. Some of them, it was their first time. Some of them lived in Las Vegas and did this all the time. Anyway, we were like, so what games have you been to? And we were all, all at the same time, we all go, oh, hold on. And we all reached into our purses and pulled out our notes (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and every single one of us, five women at the table, we all had our notes that we'd carefully been taking to try to, to try to keep track of what That's was adorable. going on.
1: That's so adorable.
2: <laughs> I was are like, you, you going... ladies are my
1: people. Are you going this year as well?
2: Absolutely. Yes.
1: When do you, when do you fly out?
2: I go on Sunday. Um, I'm going super early on Sunday, so I'll I'll see the Blazers play on. Uh, I think they play Sunday and Tuesday are the two yes. games that I'm going to see. Um, and I'm another little trick about summer league for if anybody's listening and is going to go there for the first time, it's really fun to watch the teams who have a lot of rookies who are actually going to play because it's like watching you know the team from the Bay Area or San Antonio. It's kind of like, nah, you know, none of those people are really playing. But like last year, don't hate me for this. Please don't hang up on me. But I went to three Laker games last year oh, okay. because they were playing their hearts out. Because every one of those guys like had a chance to actually be on the team. It was fun to watch.
0: I personally don't care. Dustin's furious. <laughs> Next year, Sage Digital needs to go to the Summer League.
1: Well, yeah, and you're doing it right. You you watch the games where the high profile rookies are playing. I'm not going to watch the Knicks if they're you know their French point guard is out I'm not going to watch the Hornets if Malik Monk's not going to play um that that you're right that's the whole part but however I will DVR the Celtics and the 76ers and I'll watch Fultz you know Bolden Tatum Brown you know all those guys um because I love I love rookies I love young players I love to see you know were my draft instincts right was this player going to be you know the next star was he going to be a bust so that's personally why I like to watch him. So if, if you're looking from a Blazer standpoint, to me, there's really only two players to watch. I think it's Zach Collins and Caleb Swanigan. We know what Pat Connaughton's gonna do. It is a big summer for him because the team does have an option on his contract. It's unguaranteed right now. They still have the the chance to pick it up. It's about $1.4 million. And he also has baseball aspirations if this NBA thing doesn't work out. So it's a little bit tricky with with Pat. You know, he's a great locker room guy, but does he aspire to be more than just an end-of-the-bench rotation player? And Jake Lehman. Honestly, I'm kind of sour on Lehman. He looked phenomenal against, you know, uh, Golden State that first game of the year. And I swear to God, he has not made a three-pointer since. So if he starts hitting, okay. But um, he needs to get consistent because he has such a beautiful-looking jump shot. It's almost like Luke Babbitt. Um, I hate comparing white players just because they're white, but it's the Blazers and we've had Babbitt and we've had now Layman and they have beautiful jump shots and they just don't find the bottom of the net. Hey, Luke Babbitt started 35 games this year. That That's He's... not that's not a, a good for Miami like that.
0: when they were losing. Come on, give them props. exactly when they <laughs> were losing.
2: Give Luke Babbitt credit. He's carved out a nice little career for himself.
0: Yeah, he won the Pelicans one game two years ago by himself. You
2: know. He's playing in the NBA right now, and we're not. So I don't really think we can give him too hard. Well, of the Dustin time. looks
0: like he's a middle infielder for the Marlins. God, <laughs> I get Marlins. There,
1: he has a beard. Everybody, no, I'm still salty, <laughs> Luke. I I wasn't sure about him at first, and the YouTube highlights sucked me in. And he had so His many opportunities in Portland. Was
0: so high in college,
1: he had so many chances to play in Portland, and he just. There One of my it. worst so. Blazers memories.
0: He set a screen for Damian Lillard to take a step back over Ryan Anderson, so he's
1: contributed a few ways. Okay, yeah, let's validate the pick right there. That that gives it. <laughs> <laughs> he's earned it.
2: A pick for a pick. <laughs> well, but I any mean, my my point is he's still around. You know, another guy who's still around, like Dante Cunningham. He's still around. You know, these guys who he's gonna you know, get a, just,
0: he's gonna get the well, five million MLE this year.
2: It's why I have hopes for Myers, you know, because he's smart enough. He could carve himself out a nice little, nice little
1: NBA career. I think you're being very kind, Tara. Well, hey, Dante Cunningham. (laughs) I want him to
2: succeed so bad. Dante hit 40% (laughs) from three.
1: Yeah, Dante showed a lot, I think, in the time he got. You know, you knew what you were going to get from Dante. Solid mid-range jump shooter, serviceable on the defensive end. Pretty decent rebounder. Not anymore. Um,
0: that is not the case.
1: But he, he's been in the league since 2009, so that's like eight years. So we got it for a second round pick. You take that all day. An Myers, eight I, year I, Yeah, Myers. I think it's all upstairs. If he can clear his mind and just play, then I'll start to believe a little bit. But you know, Neil Olshay, I think mentioned in the exit interviews, like he even like said, like it's a day by day process with this kid. And I want to see him succeed. He seems like a nice guy from all all accounts you know there's no ill will on him as as a person or a player like i think everybody wants to see him succeed it's just i think you know it's been five years i think a lot of people are just like okay next like you said next um let, let's move on and so speaking of like moving on sage when you're watching big men in summer league and portland's gonna have you know zach collins and caleb swan again they're not gonna have a true point guard to distribute them the ball you yeah that mean. kind of pisses me off that we don't have a true point guard because the royal RJ G- Hunter is is the opposite. He is he is really a, a chucker. He's Jimmer Fredette essentially.
0: Yeah, that, that kind of so, pisses me off because I mean the the post players need royal jelly, and this is the perfect time for them to just who gives a fuck? Shoot wherever you want, Zach Collins. Caleb, run the offense in the high post. Who gives a shit? This is about you. I I, I really would like a. I I think I mentioned Larry Drew II. He would be perfect. He. Dribble the ball up, pass it to one of the bigs, and they would run the offense. That kind of irritates me that there's no true point guard, no true distributor. But hey, it is what it is. When I look at big men in Summer League, I just first things first, can they move well on defense? I mean, my philosophy with big men in this generation of the NBA is really, how well can you move your feet? Because if you can't move your feet on defense, you're not going to play. So that's what I'm really going to be watching. Everything else is gravy. I just need to see them be able to defend a pick and roll, defend a on post defense, move their feet.
2: Oh, I was going to I was going to add um, fouling. What do you guys think about fouling in Summer League? Because I know there's you get 10 fouls. But do you think in that uh, under those conditions, players can learn anything about the, you know, fouling in the NBA, how to not do it as much or anything? Or do you think that like fouling at Summer League has nothing to do with fouling during the regular season?
1: No, I think it's a direct correlation. You look at you look at a guy like Greg Oden when he played in 2007, he was fouling out of Summer League. I mean, just a foul machine. And he had major foul problems his first few healthy seasons in the NBA I think it completely translates you do not want to see these guys picking up eight nine fouls hmm. I mean the number one rule of staying on the floor is defending without fouling um sage if you want to add anything else
0: i I, I just am a huge fan of you got to be on the floor so even if they're fat fou- like I would like them not to foul but I think just being on the floor learning it, it it's something. And I would like Mm -hmm. those two bigs to learn something in this three to five games season. So, well, I
2: I have a question that like I'm just gonna kind of pop on you guys, and uh, I because I don't know how much you guys watch uh, college ball because I don't watch a lot of it. But my question is, are there that you know of any major differences to uh, fouling rules that big men would be subject to in the NBA that they aren't subject to in um in college like any major adjustments that people have to make with regards to fouling when they transition from college into um the NBA sorry so, I don't know how
1: much familiar you guys are with college ball if that's I mean it. I, w- I watch a ton of okay. basketball Oregon Ducks in specific but you know I'll watch big games and other conferences and you know read forums and obviously watch the tournament from what I can gather is each conference kind of has their own refereeing style. For whatever reason, that's just how it is. The Pac-12 does not let them play. They call ticky-tack bullshit up and down the floor, and it really takes players out of their rhythm. Other conferences you are allowed to get a little more physical. So in a sense, that translates over to the NBA because each group of referees is going to have their different agenda and uh, officiating style over the course of 82 games. Um, I would say that college basketball is more prone to calling fouls instead of making a correct block charge call. They will definitely lean heavily in favor towards um, calling charges. I mean, that's why you see Duke. They are known to flop all over the court. Um, I think in general, though, they are more tight. They call the games more tight. They, they don't let a lot of physicality go, um, even more so than the NBA. But I don't think you see the plays... And this maybe affects the guys in the perimeter a little bit more, but the the, the swipe throughs from the Durants um, and Duncan when they when they started doing that or James Harden, how he kind of dribbles and then goes up for the shot, waits to see if he gets fouled and still is able to draw the foul. Like college players aren't skilled enough to, to pull off those type of moves. So you see more intelligence in the NBA game. Like players know what the offici- officials are going to call. They know what they can get away with. I mean, just watch. Go back and watch old tapes of John Stockton, Chris Paul. Now, you'll see them going around screens. They're they're holding you. They're grabbing you. Mm. They're doing stuff when the referee's not watching. That's what these college guys are going to have to really look out for, is because there's only three refs on the court. These NBA veterans are savvy. They've been around the block. They they know what they can do, and they can push your buttons. They're they're, they're going to talk a whole lot more. I guarantee you that. Um, That's they should just the be biggest. Yeah,
2: that's the biggest reason I want um, a veteran is to teach our guys all those little tricks about the fouling and the pulling on the shorts and getting mm-hmm. your arm in here so that the ref can't see it. And this is what Taj Gibson's going to do to you every time. So this is what you need to go do, do back to him. That's my number one reason I want a veteran is in- to teach indeed. somebody all that.
0: Because I, I mean, I can't reference a Blazer player, but I know for a fact. David West would not be the player he is today without PJ Brown telling him all of those things, like all of those processes. You need the vet, Imagine, especially yeah. like a, a vet that's done something.
2: Imagine somebody sitting next to the Noah Vonley on the bench, and every time Noah Vonley comes out, he says, you see what he just did to you right there? He's He did that to me for 10 years. Mm-hmm. This is what you need to do back. And they could even be like, I'm going to go in and do it now. Watch me. Like, that's what I would love to see.
0: And then, I mean, for the, our bigs, it's how can you handle defending a man? Because you've defended college students. Mm-hmm. Boogie Cousins is a lot different than <laughs> whoever you see in the Gonzaga conference, like Portland University. Defending that is a whole other game. So I want to see how they can adjust a more physical
1: brand of basketball. And you mentioned a big man coach. One thing to note about Myers Leonard, he wasn't the same after Neil O'Shea fired Kim Hughes for leaking the Aldridge news. Mm-hmm. One, that was a drastic overreaction on Neil's part. And two, Hughes, by all accounts, was a great big man coach. And, and I don't know if, if we feel the role. I, I'm not certain, but um, you, you're right Terry. If it's not a free agent signing, it needs to be a veteran big man. I know Maurice Lucas uh, coached uh, LaMarcus Aldridge. We had Buck Williams come in for a couple of years under Nate McMillan. Uh, we Monty Williams, uh, a, too. Yeah, we need a legit big man coach, Um, especially with Nurkic. Like we need to really with
2: twelve big men on the roster.
1: (laughs) We need to foster that 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 guy because you know he's our he's our ticket right now. But one one point I want to go back to it, Sage. You said in summer league for bigs, you're looking to see if they can move their feet well on defense, and I completely agree. It's it's going to be beyond the box score with with big men. You can't just look at the box score and say, oh, he had a good or a bad night. You got to see, like you said, how did he move on defense? Was he making the right rotations? Was he boxing out? Was he boxing out for others like Robin Lopez still does to Mm. this day? And as soon as you said that about moving your feet on defense, it brought me back to that game that I would reference earlier about Caleb Swanigan playing um, Iowa State. And on the perimeter, he didn't fare too well against guys who would put the ball on the floor. And it wasn't the most um, fleet of foot. Uh, big man either. So that's something he's going to really have to work Someone on. Someone
0: was yeah. uh, told he was a little harsh on that player. for. I'm glad <laughs> that you noticed that he's not so, the slightest fleet.
2: No, he is not fleet of foot. That is for sure. He is not fast. Um, I mean, Caleb Swanigan, uh, Sage, you and I have been back and forth a little bit about him. Uh, he definitely has uh, plenty of room for improvement, but I think some of, like he's not a big jumper and he's not very fast. But I do think that those are things that can be improved uh, by working with NBA trainers. Like, I don't think he's ever going to be an elite dumper, and he's never going to be super fast. But I do think he can get faster, and he can jump higher. And you can't—some he, he, of those instincts that he has are something that you can't
1: really teach. I mean, I think, I think we all have to agree that he's probably not going to be an elite defender. Um, he just has to be serviceable. Um, Like you said, it's going to come with time, but, you know, Zach Randolph, probably a terrible defender, but he's a borderline Hall of Fame type of player, and he was the heart and soul of the Memphis Grizzlies along with Tony Allen, and he's been in the league since 2001, Um, perennial all-star. I'm not saying he is Zach Randolph, but those players can still thrive. Andre Mm -hmm. Miller, terrible athlete, still thrived in this league, just a vintage (sighs) throwback player. And I think the wave of <laughs> so much. Of, of stretch fives and stretch <laughs> fours and, you know, positionless basketball and let's shoot threes all game, that's all fine and dandy. But that doesn't mean that's exactly how every player needs to be. I, I know think Tara what makes wants league... to argue
0: with me more about Caleb. <laughs> I see it in <laughs> her face. I know it's no, either going to be on here or... I'm going to get a long worded uh,
2: Facebook message. I actually, okay, I do write long Facebook messages. Um, No, I don't want to argue about Caleb because I think it's just a time will tell thing. You know, there's there's, there's really nothing to argue. Um, I don't think about that really. But what I want to know is, okay, if you say he's not going to be an elite defender, what exactly does an elite defender look like? Draymond Green. No, but like, what is it that he is doing?
1: I mean, he's intelligent. He knows when to rotate. I mean, either in help side defense where you know the exact time you have to go over. So
2: Okay, so that's it, an intelligence thing. That's yeah, a learning so, thing. Yeah.
1: So if you're helping okay. on um on a man, you need to make sure your man's not capable of hitting that outside shot. So if they pass it off, so um it are you a great man to man defender? Um, can you guard anybody in the league straight up? without having your team to send help i think that is a big thing what are your instincts on the rebounding glass like do you box out well do you know when the shot's going to come off charles barkley was an animal when it came to that six four but he knew where you were at on the floor the projection of the ball over 75 percent of the time he he was like i know where that ball's going to be and that's why he was such a hall of fame level rebounder um then you're also looking at shot blocking you know do you know does a guy like to use his right does he like to use his left um the angles. It's, it's just so many little things. And Swanigan's already, you know, he blocked a few shots in that game. Like he he has he has a 7-3 wingspan. You so can't a lot teach of it that. is
2: intelligence.
1: I think a lot of it is intelligence. A lot <laughs> of it is will, a lot of it is determination, and a lot of it is just putting in the time studying your opponent. You have to know who's going to be in the game, what they like to do, and the last equation, last, you know. Part of the part of this formula is just getting out there and playing around. You know, can you put your your knowledge to, you know, on the hardwood? That's the last thing. And he's going to get a lot of opportunity to do that in summer league, and hopefully he gets some time to do that during the regular season as well, because he can practice all of those things in practice. But unless you get on the court and get consistent minutes, you're really never see the the fruits of that labor.
0: I know Tara wants me to answer. Uh, all right, what I think? <laughs> Kay, I I think Caleb as a team defender, will be just fine. As a rebounder, he will be just fine probably better than just fine. Because he's he's shown the ability to rebound in college, and that translates to the to the pros, probably the best statistical category. But what I, what I will say, I think in pick-and-roll coverage, he will be awful. There's no other way to describe what he will be, but awful. I think he cannot defend the rim at all, either. I know he has a high wingspan, but I I th- I'm just worried the most about pick and roll coverage because I think he will be a sieve in that one area. And that one area is 60% of the NBA game. But I think the Blazers if they are smart will ice him or blue him every time so he's doing the Robin Lopez defense, but what what worries me is the pick and roll. I mean, if he if he can show in, you know, the first few seasons that hey, he won't be a horrible pick and roll defender, then we can talk about all of his wonderful stats in college. But yeah. at first, I got to see him defend the pick and roll to a okay level. So okay, say. Tell to me play. what
2: that looks like, though, so I know what to look for.
0: I, th- I know Dane Carbaugh actually did a video that describes what that is. I think okay. that's the perfect... i go watch that. I know that's the perfect uh, thing for what Robin Lopez is, what Caleb Swanigan is. But I, I, got, I just have to see the pick and roll. I mean, if he can defend the pick and roll, I will apologize for all of the mean things I've said
1: I, okay I don't Sage, think you've to said play me. to play devil's advocate though he was the entire offense at University of Purdue mm-hmm. he, everything went through him he shouldered everything he was getting touches in every position he had to I mean you watch him he works relentlessly under the glass offensively and defensively he's one of the first big men down the floor and back he burned so much energy in a lot of minutes too. He's playing probably 30 plus minutes a night. He's going to come in and spot minutes with his will. We've seen him. He has a love for the game. He has a motor. Do you think that helps him at all in playing the pick and roll? Because he can go balls to the wall for five, 10 minutes a shift and not have to worry about getting tired.
0: Maybe. I, I, I I don't know. I have, I actually have to see it on the uh, floor, but if it's just five minutes and he can just work his ass off, hopefully to be, you know, a decent pick and roll defender. I think that's fine. Um I would like to see what he can do in a role that isn't doing everything because I think one of the reasons he had wonderful stats is like you mentioned his usage rate is was very high in Purdue. So it, it's it's going to be a learning experience for him and it's going to be a learning experience for me to see if he can do that. <laughs> do,
2: do But I know you'll give him a fair shake. I,
0: I I just was talking what I felt, you know,
2: that's totally fine. It'll be that. Cause I think uh, there's nothing better to me as when somebody like I, I, this happens to me all the time. I have knee jerk reactions about things and I'm just sure that I'm right. And then, as you know we do because we're adults we eventually do this you step back and you can like figure out why you had that and you could it might be that you just solidify your your previous views like yeah this is what i was thinking about him he is not athletic he can't jump and he can't run very fast i mean that's what you were thinking about him it's a logical thing mm. to think i just love the stories where it turns out When he turns out that he has all these other qualities that we hadn't even anticipated. And we're talking about him a year from now going, wow, that was awesome watching him grow this year.
0: So in, I think it was even March. I I know Evan M was on the show. Shout out to Evan M. I hope you're listening. I mentioned this guy, Caleb Swanigan from Purdue. His numbers are pretty good. I'm going to watch him more to see what else is with his game because his numbers are great. I watched him a few games, and those numbers jump out the page. And then when I continued my homework on him, mm-hmm. I'm like, "Oh no, You yeah. can't defend the pick and roll well.
1: This yeah. might, be,
0: this not, might not be good." And then as <laughs> I continued to watch it, that I was like, "Oh shit, oh shit, this this might not be good." And then you know, I, I mean, I did my research. I watched a lot of Purdue games. Like if we, I'll pull the clip where I said. That Caleb Swanigan guy is really good. Uh, I don't
2: doubt you at all. I don't doubt you at all. And I'm going to go watch those Dan Carbaugh videos on defending the pick and roll so that when I go down to Summer League, I know exactly what I'm hoping to see out of Caleb Swannigan.
0: So are we going to talk about the free agent? One
1: one second. Back to Swannigan. He's
2: He's like, no, I don't want to talk about him anymore.
1: (laughs) So we've already established he's going to be playing five to ten minute sparts. He's going to have a lot of energy. He's going to be playing against role players in the NBA. This is Mm. not a Chris Paul pick and roll. He's going to have to defend. I think that makes the transition a lot smoother for him. Now, if he's really unable to defend that in those short bursts against role players in the NBA, then yes, I think it's for a bigger discussion. But for the point being, I think he will be serviceable. And by that, I mean, he'll be able to stay on the floor because he is going up against reserves um it could be shaky but it's reserved NBA
0: players it's not you know it's still, yeah yeah reserved NBA players but
1: he'll still be able to he I just love this kid's drive I think if his you, story is awesome
0: I mean like everything if, if about show, him is awesome it's just that one aspect of his game isn't awesome it's
1: okay so, so one aspect of his game sage it's not about what a player can't do it's what they can do there's LeBron James is probably the only NBA player where you can say does everything well. I mean, every but every that, other player but, but has that has one a hole. thing
0: is a humongous part of this game. It's literally fifty percent of the game is being able to play defense.
1: Not not de- def- defending the pick and roll. That's not just defense. Like we've already established, he's a great defensive rebounder. He can use his reach. I think he can turn into a decent shot blocker uh, on the weak side and.
0: We'll have to see on that part. He tries. Absolutely, and that's a huge
1: thing. That is a huge component of defense. So, yes, I think your um, reservations about him guarding the pick and roll are 100% valid, but I don't think that should be the main driver in whether or not this was a poor pick or whether he's going to be a bad player because I think he brings so much more else to the table. But as Tara said... Time will tell. Uh, Speaking of time, it's time to take our first commercial break, but then we will jump right into free agency. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Holy Backboard podcast. Dustin and Sage here with one of our fantastic guests, teen mom, Tara Biggs. It has been a wild, wild start of July. Free agency is off and running. Even before free agency kicked off, we had Chris Paul traded to the Rockets, which, to be honest, it feels like three months ago that trade happened because everything else that has taken place. But let's start with that one first because it really kicked off the dominoes. That was Paul George. That was Gordon Hayward um, and all of those players. Paul Millsap. But let's talk about Chris Paul and what he did. He told the Clippers, hey, I'm going to leave for Houston. You better get something for me. One, that's commendable. But two, you kind of crippled the Rockets because they had to give up Pat Beverly, which heart and soul of the team, first team all defense, Lou Williams, third in the six-man voting, Uh, Montrezl Harrell, Sam Decker, two first-round picks, um, two former first-round picks, and a 2018 first-round pick. I know it's CP3, and and overall, that's probably fair value, but when they could have just signed this guy outright, um, they gave up a lot, Sage. I mean, the Clippers still are going to be bad because Chris Paul was... You know, a Hall of Fame player and he was their franchise, but, you know, that is a great return. And I think that I don't honestly know how much better that makes Houston. And this is not even talking about the fit. We will get into the fit. This does not make Houston. I don't know if they win more than they won, what, 55, 57 games last year? They're not going to. Hot
0: take, they won't win more than they did last year.
1: They won't. I completely agree.
0: I think.
2: I think they're going to be since, better.
0: Since you're going to Vegas, I, I am seriously tempted to do this. Last year, I <sighs> said Indiana would do worse than they actually did. This year, Houston's going to win way less than Vegas projected, and same with Minnesota. I would bet the hard under for both of those teams.
2: Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think Houston is going to be better. I really do. I think... Um... A, Chris Paul isn't going to have to stress out about fouling James Harden anymore. And so that's just going to like make it that much better for him. (laughs) Um, He's very intense. And I don't know. I I don't know. I just I I think that Houston will get better. I don't really have much to base that on. But I just I like seeing someone go all in to try to beat that other team. I like I I like it that they're going all
1: in. I like that they're going all in because it cripples them long term. I mean, we're looking <laughs> at a, a a point guard who was drafted in two thousand five, so he's got twelve plus years of NBA mileage under the belt, and this is long mileage. I mean, and he's the played dude a who dealt with
0: edit. knee problems
1: too. Yeah, and he's had injuries, and to be honest, he didn't look like himself last year. There's a reason he didn't make any of the All NBA teams. Um, you can tease not at Pete Chris Paul. He's on. He's he's still he's still a great player, but he's on the decline. And Houston neither- got Houston got his rights, so they can super max this dude. Thirty percent of the cap, if they need to. And you're, I mean, Chris Paul's already what 33, 32? Uh, I mean, I, that no. A I lot mean,
2: of th- older players are getting big contracts. It's really surprising mm. me. I'm, I that's really surprising me. But the the thing about having Harden and Paul on at the same time is neither of them are going to have to play as many minutes as, as they've had to play.
1: So what I don't like about that is Mike D'Antoni comes in. Houston's coming off a supremely disappointing season. They made the Western Conference Finals in, what, 2015. Uh, the Dwight-James Harden duo didn't work out. They finished, what, 7th or 8th. Um, just a huge disappointment. And D'Antoni comes in, wins Coach of the Year, comes up with this masterful plan, and I know you're going to hate this, Sage, Let's go out and sign Eric Gordon. and Ryan Anderson. We're going to shoot. <laughs> shoot a fuck ton of threes and James, you're going to be our point guard. What does he do? He goes out and has his most uh, successful season. He was dominant, you know, runner up in the MVP and almost any other year he would have been probably the unanimous MVP and took the Rockets from pretty much a meddling Western Conference team to, you know, OK, this team is a threat. Why would you go out and find a player who has to have the ball in his hands
0: just as much?
1: <laughs> just as much to be effective. I mean, it just—it's—it's it's, the fit is just so poor. Mm-hmm. I mean, I,
0: I honestly I couldn't what... think of two fits. Maybe Kyle Lowry and Chris Paul, but like, I can't think of two fits that work worse together.
1: You don't want Chris Paul playing off the ball, and I know he said, "Oh, I'm cool with coming off the ball." Chris Paul, no, not he a isn't. Knock- he is not a knockdown shooter coming off screens. Yes, he can ISO a guy. But again, that revolves involves having the ball in his hands. Um, it, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And you've also lost a lot of assets. They lost a lot of depth as well. I mean, but aside from their starting five and Eric Gordon, who, who's going to get run? I mean, they gave up a lot.
2: So we have two guards that play together.
0: Yeah, how is, but, there,
2: how but is their both of 2 guard lineup different than, our, than ours?
0: Well, both of them are... like Chris Paul is never going to play a shooting guard.
1: Either Dave well, or would, CJ could play but off But what about
2: Harden? I mean, that's what he was playing before he played point guard.
1: Yeah, and James Harden can definitely play shooting guard. But James Harden is at his best when he has the ball in his hands.
0: I, I, I to, think if you take a Venn diagram, those two's main skills... Are with the ball in their hands. C.J. McCullum can work with the ball out without his in it, off ball. God, so
1: yeah, that's that. Yeah, to Terra's point, that that is the the main difference is C.J. C.J. can run off of screens. Um, he can catch and shoot. I mean, he is a natural born scorer. Um, I wouldn't say the same same thing for Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard is not as good off the ball, but he he can.
0: Yeah, he. You saw him run with Shabazz in the playoffs. Like yeah, Shabazz exactly. handled the ball, and Dame was moving off
1: screens. I wouldn't call Chris Paul a natural born scorer. Chris Paul is with the ball. In,
0: I mean, with the ball in his hands, like I can tell you what Chris Paul wants to do. Seven years after I watched him every game, he's gonna pick and roll you to death in the first quarter. Get the wings and the post players involved for the first half. Have about eight assists. Third quarter, he's going for his, getting mid range jumpers and hitting three pointers with the ball in his hands. And in the fourth, he's going to pick and roll you to death and sh- either make the right pass or shoot the shot. Now, does that sound like a guy that could work with the ball without a, with off ball?
2: No. Nah. Well, but no, I mean, but if he's having the ball and Harden is playing off the ball now.
1: Hmm. I think I mean, it, that that's I guess, what it's going to have to be. I, I think Chris Paul is definitely going to have to be the lead floor general.
2: Yeah, and he's going to be the point guard.
1: Yeah, but I think say, to Sage and Art, uh, my point is that diminishes Harden a little bit because he mm. was just so phenomenal with the ball in his hands. You could Kay. put just any. I mean, that's why Eric Gordon and Lou Williams had the years they did is because Harden was commanding so much attention in isolation settings. And he was just kind of driving and either lobbing it up to Capella, kicking it out to Anderson or, or those other guards. So it's going to be an interesting fit. Um, it definitely makes the West interesting. So you potentially make Houston better or, you know, you keep them even if they're at the same level, they're still going to get home court advantage in the Western Conference. But what it does is, you mean, you look at the teams out west who made the playoffs. The Clippers definitely took a step back. They oh. lose their starting backcourt. JJ Reddit goes to Philadelphia. One year, twenty three million, exactly what Philly wants to do. They want to be respectable. They want to make the playoffs, mm. but they want to keep that cap space, that cap flexibility open for twenty eighteen. So if you're the Clippers now, you're looking at a starting backcourt of Pat Beverly and Austin Rivers. And I don't care. <laughs> I don't yep. care if you add Danilo Gallinari. You bring Blake Griffin back, and you've got DeAndre Jordan. That might be the worst offensive. Yeah, who, who's
0: getting DJ the, the the ball on the lobs? It sure as hell is in Austin Rivers.
1: I guess Blake Griffin is going to be
2: playing some point forward, and he's a
0: very <laughs> good point forward. But still need that yeah. lead ball handler to throw some oops and run some offense.
2: Yeah, That's... I believe Vegas had uh, the Lakers winning more games than the Clippers this year.
0: I think the I think the Clippers are fighting for a playoff spot personally. But... Yeah.
1: I think Clippers will be that eight to 10 range They're They're definitely going to be on the cusp. Um, They're trying to get better, but you know, they did have to give up Jamal Crawford as well. So that's another big scorer off the bench. And if Blake is running a lot of high low DJ, that's great. He can do that. He is one of the best passing bigs in the game. But if you're surrounding him with Austin Rivers and Patrick Beverly, who's the shooter.
0: um, Exactly.
1: You're, you're just sending doubles and triples and you're just swarming the hell out of them disrupting that play because that is going to be their bread and butter but unless you have shooters I mean I'm just not certain what they're going to do right now I mean I had them on the outside looking or I had them on yeah outside but then Gordon Hayward leaves Utah and that's going to be tough for the Jazz to rebound from because they were finally relevant and I love that they're relevant I grew up in the 90s watching the early 90s Blazers with Drexler and Porter and then our, our 99 and 2000 Blazers with with Sheed and Brian Grant just battling Stockton and Malone. So while I, I hate the Utah Jazz, they're definitely in my top three, you know, most disliked franchises. I loved that they're relevant this year. I loved watching them in the playoffs. It it, it brought back so many memories uh, for me as, as as a child, you know, watching them and, and seeing. It also hits home, too, because, you know, we lost LaMarcus Aldridge. We were uh, a small market team who had developed a player for seven to nine years only to see them just bolt. And this is I'm, this is not a criticism of Gordon Hayward. It's just more as a, a small market team seeing Utah lose that player. He was their franchise guy. And, you know, with some stability at point guard, Hayward's growth and Gobert turning into a monster, they were a very formidable team. And. I think they're still going to be on that. The, they're they're going to be in the Clippers range, eight to 10 fighting for a playoff spot, especially if they're able to to swing this sign in trade with with the Celtics bringing in Jay Crowder, which. Really um, solidifies the three, but they lost George Hill. Um, I'm not sold on on Ricky Rubio um, in in that, that, that um, on that team, Um, they really, really need a little bit more offense and Hill had a great year. I mean, he cashed out in Sacramento, but what are your thoughts on the jazz? I mean, do you see them? I mean, I know Sage, we're not the biggest Hayward fans. We think he's more of a, a third star than, than a superstar, but are they going to be able to rebound from that? Like Portland was able to rebound from losing LaMarcus because they played with that chip on their shoulders, but are they going to be able to have, obviously they're not going to get home court advantage, but can Mm. they still, I think they're definitely,
0: no, I think they're, I I mean, they're, they're, they're going to be in the playoff. I think they're going to be a fun free flowing offensive team with some pretty nice defensive players. So I, I think, Full force on go and 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 compete for a playoff spot.
1: Are they gonna be able to get offense though?
0: I think Rubio is a pretty damn good point guard in getting players into those spots. I think that skill is very overlooked because he can't shoot, but if you can run an offense, you got a spot in the NBA. So I I, I'm I I think it'll be a fun team to watch. I think they'll be like fighting for the seventh rate seed.
2: I don't know where they're going to fall in, um, you know, fall in the in the league. But I think that they're going to have one of those years like we did and like OKC did after our um, after our franchise players left. Like you said, they're going to be playing with a chip on their shoulder. They're going to play a little bit outside of themselves because they're going to be trying to prove that we're still, you know, just because you know the um, you know the top guy left doesn't mean that we're nobody here. We're going to put it together, and I think they're going to have a strong year. Um, but I think it looked to me and I, it looked to me like a lot of the moves that the jazz were making, they were making in order to keep Gordon Hayward, as opposed to when Portland knew they were losing LaMarcus, they made moves to rebuild a new team, even, even before, you know, so, you know, yeah.
1: what does that look like now? If you know, he's he's leaving. Do you re up Joe Ingalls for 13, 14 million dollars a season? Do you trade a first round pick for Ricky Rubio? Um, You know, do you move up in the draft for Donovan Mitchell? Obviously that's looking like a good move right now. He's looking amazing in summer league, but like you said, do you, it's a whole domino series. Um, If Hayward lets them know sooner, are they able to put out a max offer for Otto Porter, um, the small forward for the Washington wizards? Um, So there's just so many variables that go into this, but, I agree with you, Tara, for at least this year, because I don't think it's sustainable, as we saw last year with the Blazers, to play above your level for more than a season. But at least for this next season, that is going to be a tough out. I mean, they're always tough to play in the Salt Palace. Uh, Those fans are rabid as they come. And it just goes to show, even if they don't make the playoffs, I mean, the Western Conference is an absolute bloodbath. There's not going to be one easy game in the Western Conference. Phoenix gives us problems. And they added the fourth pick, Josh Jackson. They still have Bledsoe and Brandon Knight, who torched us last year um, a couple of times. Uh, look at in Booker. You look at Sacramento, who added Zach Randolph and George Hill to go along with, you know, Buddy Heald and De'Aaron Fox um, and all of those rookies that they brought in. And then the Lakers, they even have Brooke Lopez. I mean, they have Lonzo Ball. Everyone's going to be paying attention to them. Brandon Ingram's going to be in his second season. Um, Jordan Clarkson. There is not there are no weak links. (laughs) There is not. I mean, that's what's so scary is like Portland could be a better team next year and I think they could lose two or three less games. It's just the nature of the Western Conference is and this is why another reason I wish Hayward would have stayed, because it might have take taken fifty wins to to get there, which it did I think in oh seven, oh eight. It took fifty wins just to win the eight to get to the eighth seed. And it might be some similar to that. I mean, you're gonna have to bring it every night. You're going to play focus. You have to take care of business against the Eastern conference. I think if we look back at the end of the year and you're going to see the teams that made it and the teams that didn't make it, all you have to do is scroll over. How did they fare against the East? I know you're going to have to play long road trips and you're playing in different time zones and you're playing in back to backs and four and five nights, but you have to get it done. But those are
2: your chances to win. (laughs) Those are your
1: chances. And, you know, I hope Portland's already looking at that Um, because if we start, you know, losing games, we, we shouldn't. It, there's no easy games in the West to make up ground. You know, like there's we, how we had this the past year, we had like 13 of the last 16 or something like that at home. I'm not certain we're going to one, get that lucky or two, you know, there's not just going to be teams that you can just roll over in the way that not how it's going to be. So, I mean, it makes it fascinating, but it's also a little bit terrifying just how, how amazing this is probably the best Western conference I can ever remember.
2: Yeah. I mean, the, I mean, I think, All of the league is just getting better. I mean, because players are coming in more versatile, more able to do a number of different things. They're coming in with a full range of skills and uh, so you can plug them in and whatever. So I think definitely the West Coast is or the West, um, the Western Conference is terrifying, but I think a lot of the teams. I mean, look at Philadelphia. We're not laughing at them anymore. Even Brooklyn is, I think, going to put together a pretty good year. I mean, they've got they've got some possibilities. They've they've been waiting around long enough. I think they're ready to start making that improvement. I mean, every everybody like maybe except for maybe what Orlando, <laughs> and the Knicks of course. God bless I mean, the Knicks.
1: Never I mean, change. You've got Knicks. a couple teams out in the East. I mean, obviously, yeah. Never change Knicks, but you've got the Bulls. <laughs> who are in full rebuild mode. Oh, yeah. got the, the Hawks, who are in full rebuild mode. Um, the Pacers, I mean, that that's a dumpster fire. And let's, let's jump into that. So I, I'm with Olga. We're getting drinks at, at the Pope House in, in Northwest. And all of a sudden I see, this is the Friday. I mean, before free agency, Thursday or Friday before free agency even kicks off. OKC trades uh, Sabonis and Oladipo for Paul George. I'm like, okay, there's got to be a slew of picks coming. Like there, There's got to be something else. Like These guys are, are not worth Paul George, even a one-year rental. Nope, sure enough, that's all they got. And all the rumors have came out um, that have said that Boston, they had a deal ready. They just wanted to get Hayward first. For whatever reason, Kevin Pritchard wouldn't wait. Um, it has been revealed. I think Jason Quick teased it. Blazers Edge confirmed it. Portland offered three picks and any player outside of the big three or Paul George, which I think is a tremendously better offer than Sabonis and Oladipo. Um, is Kevin Pritchard petty? I mean, maybe. But you're working for another franchise now. I I can't think of any Indiana fans that I've read on their forums that have been like, yeah, we got a great trade. Like, most yeah, people I mean,
0: Victor like, Oladipo is at a $21 million contract. Like, they gained even...
1: salary. Yeah. They gained salary from trading. I, yeah. I just... It's it's going to go down as maybe one of the biggest blunders. Did, did Pritch about. love Victor Laddipo? He wasn't on our well, team. I think I think the no, I think the selling point was that he's an Indiana alum, but that that's all fine and dandy, but if you get 3 picks from Portland, you know who was available at every single pick outside of 26? OG. I mean, if you if you're so desperate for an Indiana alum, there you go. Um Sabonis looked awful his rookie season. I mean, they didn't even get a pick back and now you made the Thunder A nightmare because then they traded uh, excuse me, they brought Patrick Patterson in Um, you allow uh, Enos Cantor to go back into a 6th man role and you've given Russ another option Mm -hmm. I mean, this dude was getting double triple teamed, everyone was keying in on him and now you have Paul George I mean, it's not quite the Russ Durant uh, era that we're used to, but it's pretty dang close (laughs) it's pretty damn good I was thinking the Thunder probably wouldn't make the playoffs next year. Then they go out and add Paul George, and now people are saying, you know, that might be the third, fourth, fifth team in yep, the West. Yep. And even if it's just a one-year rental, we're talking just this next year. It just... I mean, our division, Sage, it, it's easily... It's rough. Off.
0: It's easily the... I mean, we said that during the draft when only Jimmy Butler got traded. This is the toughest division.
1: Ah, I mean... This, this what doesn't kill
2: path. you makes you
0: stronger
1: maybe I mean we <laughs> haven't even talked about Paul Millsap, who kudos to Denver they got sap yes they're paying him 30 million a year for two years that third year is a team option uh, I, he's how, how if I'm millsap I'm like firing a my lot agent. of money well I am keeping my agent tomorrow keep in mind Paul
0: Millsap, besides last year his longest like highest paid contract was nine mil a year and he was an all-star three times and was getting paid nine mil. I mean, like, he wanted that payday. That that oh, had to be number it, one.
1: There's no way his agent should have yet said, yes, team option for the third year. Because you know what? They're not going to pick up that option. He's well, then Did you hear the rumor 35. about
0: uh, the Hawks and Nuggets last year? Like, they, they had a trade already set for Paul Millsap to go if Al Horford stayed. He went to Boston. That trade was scrapped. And Denver got Paul Millsap without having to trade all of those assets. So, I mean, Denver is making out really well.
1: Yeah, and that just that, and then that goes back to the whole Western Conference, Eastern Conference. You have a lot of incompetent GMs in the East. Everyone knew the Hawks weren't going to contend. Then Al Horford leaves. Okay, it's even more evident. They put Millsap on the market for, what, 48 hours? They're like, no, 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 we're going to keep him at the deadline. You know what he's going to command. You know your team's not even close to contending, even in the Eastern Conference. Why don't you move him? Like, these GMs and these owners in the Eastern Conference, they're flat-out dumb. I mean, they they (laughs) just don't get it. Like, you have to trade an asset. It's not like you can just magically keep him and not pay him that salary. Like, it doesn't work like that.
2: Apparently, it does, though. Over and over. I mean, how many times in the last year have these trades come through where we've sat here going, oh, my God, are you kidding? Like, um, you know, the boogie trade, um, the, let's see, there was the Jimmy Butler trade. I mean, all these things happen where we all just sit here and go, are you kidding me? But they like, I, I just don't think like the talent never matches. Like we, we assume that the talent is going to match. We assume that they're going to do the logical thing and they're going to trade the same amount of talent in for the same amount of talent going out. That seems like that rarely happens.
1: Yeah, it doesn't happen, and, and I think that's a v- extremely valid point, because
0: higher seller. Like, if you know you're yeah. going to... Like, it's never I need a power forward, you need a shooting guard, let's just trade. That That but, hasn't happened in five, ten, six years. That, that type of trade, it's really well, I, like I kind need Indiana to get
2: rid of this guy. Like, maybe Indiana didn't want three draft picks.
1: I mean. <laughs> I mean... I guess that's why they're going to continue to be a, a bottom feeder in in mediocrity in the Eastern Conference because it's the most loaded draft in years, and you know Boston, from all intended purposes, ha- had a great deal. Atlanta reportedly Brian Windhorst four Windhorst first round four <laughs> first round picks. I mean, teams were offering them like Indiana completely s- screwed it. But
2: why were teams offering this for a rental? That's the other thing I don't understand.
0: <laughs> they they think that they can convince Paul George that yeah. Atlanta is just as cool as Los Angeles. Or
2: I can't believe they would actually think that. I mean, I can't believe that well, these there's I mean, 30 <laughs> guys, there's 30 people who have the job as GM of a team, and I can't believe that they would not be smart, that every single one of them isn't smart.
1: Mm, there's just
2: I, more, they're just never, I mean, I just think that the things are never as lopsided as they seem from the outside.
1: I mean, I think that Indiana OKC trade is is about as lopsided as it gets. Because, mm-hmm. like, like you said, what about the go,
0: boogie? Um, what about they, the boogie trade? They got two first round picks at least.
1: I mean, yeah, but even at the time, it was like that's all they've got. I mean, the Boston Celtics have had assets for for years. People were expecting something. Like, I know if we were to trade Damien, we were we would not get equal value. That's never how mm. it works. You don't usually trade superstar for superstar. That's just that that I, don't, I can't remember the last time that yeah, happened. Yeah, it doesn't happen. But you as a as a fan base who is giving up that star, what do you want to see come back? You want to see decent contracts. You want to see a, a slew of young talent and draft picks because obviously you're starting the rebuild. Indiana, there's nothing. I mean, Oladipo is twenty five, twenty six. We've seen what he is in the league. He's locked into a terrible contract and you got a lottery pick and, and Sabonis who, quite frankly, didn't show anything despite given starters minutes in mm-hmm. um, OKC. So. Uh, that's why it's tough, and everyone was also surprised about Jimmy Butler, too. I mean, a guy coming off of an ACL injury in Zach Levine, Chris Dunn, again, but terrible the, their, year. their Wait, GMs something.
0: loved her. The GM loved him. The GM,
1: you're correct. They they almost made that move last summer. See, My, I mean, Myers, come on.
0: We gotta find you your guy. You have to find
1: the GMs. Exactly. But regardless, I mean, it's it's done. OKC do is now better.
0: How do, you, how do you like the Minnesota team? Because I think they're going to underachieve,
1: but... I think Minnesota is a playoff team. You can take that to the bank.
0: Yes, but I, I think that that is a very true fact, but I don't think they're like They are not the top seat. four
1: in the West. No. I, I don't love the pairing of Jimmy Butler and Andrew Wiggins on the wing. Um, Who's their be honest, best three-point kinda... shooter? Cat? Cat, yeah. And if you're a, a opposing coach, you're saying, yes, shoot all the threes you want because you are a menace. You're a beast to hold down low. And yeah, they've also had the they've also had a little bit of bad news. Um, they were able to do the pick swap with the Bulls, which was an incredible coup. But Justin Patton, a big out of Creighton, we both liked, fractured a meta, uh, the fifth metatarsal in his foot. Didn't know how long he's going to be out. But regardless, foot injuries to a big scary. You do not like that. Very scary. I know he was going to spend time in the G League this year, um, as they already have Zhang and Cat, um, and they signed Taj Gibson ankle all but. And they still have Cole Aldrich, yeah. So they've they've Set got talent, but convincingly. But mm. you're right, Sage. Again, they have talent on paper, and if you're in two K, yeah, 2K, the fence is probably... awful. So it's it's gonna come down to, and, and I think this isn't maybe not this year, but next year. Tom Thibodeau is still that coach. Who do you think he's gonna want to keep? Jimmy Butler or Andrew Wiggins? he's he's gonna keep his guy yeah i think wiggins i think wiggins if this thing doesn't go super smooth might be on the way out in a year so i'm not mad at that but like
0: like people are saying jeff teague is gonna help him be a good defensive team like jeff teague isn't a good defensive
1: player jeff teague is a whole lot of meth like they signed him and and and
0: he is insane all of the reports about him is he is not mentally there so they they signed a High emotional point guard. Jimmy Butler hasn't played defense in three years. He was not a fantastic defender when he was a role player. He hasn't been a role player in a long time. So, if you remember the Bull game, he wasn't defending Alan Crabb, who was like a 40% three-point shooter. He hasn't been a good defender in a long time. Wiggins is meh. Gibson, I like my power forwards not to shoot mid-range jumpers all the time. Um, And Cat, I mean... I I feel sorry for them. They're going to make the
1: playoffs, but they're not going to be good. I think they had a chance to do some big damage after getting Butler. If they had
0: Millsap, I I would feel so different about it. But Taj Gibson to Millsap is a huge downgrade.
1: And They had their cap space, and they went Jeff Teague and Taj Gibson. Instead of either going Paul Millsap, I think George Hill made a lot more sense as the point guard. Um, Shit,
0: Drew Holiday would have been a better fit.
1: Yeah, and let's, let's move on to Drew your to your, to your Pelican save. I think, Um, I think he got massively overpaid. What, $25 what are your thoughts million on
0: that? a year. It's a little more than I wanted, but looking back at it for a few days, it was an overpay, mm-hmm. but it wasn't like the I'm going to lay in bed and not do shit for a few days bet, overpay. I mean, five years, 25. It could have been worse. Could have been worse. It, it it's it, it was said to be one sixty five but there are some goals that he has to meet that he will never meet
1: so one, well, you hope he meets them because that
0: means he's playing well <laughs> uh, he 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 will never meet the 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 the
1: he'll so never are, are the pelicans a playoff team if the if the season starts today with that are they a playoff team
0: all right this might sound homer i think they're a fourth or a fifth seed bro
1: Oh, Sage, Sage! No. Oh, every <laughs> every year, well, we, every, every year but, we do our playoff preview <laughs> or our season preview. Sage always has the Pelicans up high, and then they just they should through. You should have said, said, no. said no. They're going to be ninth, tenth, and no, then No, you.
0: Boogie Cousins so and who Anthony are they Davis. Better than? I think that when you look at team, I think a lot of people when they talk about this Western Conference think of the collective of stars. Paul Millsap. George, Paul George, Russ, but they're not all on one team. When you look at the teams individually, I can't think of more than three or four teams that have a better collection of stars. And they're bringing in a coach that fits what Boogie Cousins is good at. And I know they're going to make a trade in the next few days to get another ball handler.
1: So, Who, with what assets you've got the big two for, plus for, holiday,
0: first round picks.
1: No, so you can't. That's not sustainable. But I, when I think you no. have
0: when you have two and a half star, two and one fourth stars, <laughs> you have one <laughs> fourth. You have to be able to you fuck all that other shit. If you have two stars, you have to. This is your team. This is your team for the foreseeable future. Let's build the best team we can with these two stars in mind. They brought Is it tri- though? We brought Chris Fitch over, who was the guy who created the Nuggets offense, which was the number one offense, once Jokic was the point guard, or point center, whatever. But they did that, they're gonna bring someone in to help Drew run point, because he's not a point guard, and you know what? My four good players are gonna be better than the Minnesota four players, the Blazers, all oh, of oh, these stage, other teams.
1: Sage, you just hammered the Wolves because they didn't have shooting. Your team can't shoot either.
0: Each one more. They're going to get another shooter. They have an, They have a full MLE, so if they get CJ Miles.
1: He's going to command more than the MLE.
0: Jeremy Lin or Eric Bledsoe.
1: You're going to have to trade something to get those guys. First
0: round pick, each one more, and you know what? We'll throw in a... Uh, Pick swap for Jeremy. So, Light. how oh.
2: far out are you giving away these first round picks? Like, shit, <laughs> you
1: only have 18s. seven years. Yeah, yeah. you're you allowed go, to do that. 18 you and 20. Billy King on us,
0: dude. <laughs> I, you got Boogie Cousins and AD. I think that's what it is. If I'm wrong and they're not a playoff team, barring health, you know what? I'll I'll do something embarrassing on the podcast for everybody to enjoy.
1: <laughs> no, it's all good, Sage. I just I'll tell shit. a very embarrassing I, I love... story. I, I, I think, think good about the Pelicans.
0: I think they'll do great. Dell Dumps, I trust you. all right. but I'm I I willing will like to bet on a, that because a I a massively year pick.
1: for the Pelicans. One cousins is a free agent next year. Mm-hmm. If things go south, they're gonna have to move him.
0: Well, that's why two, they signed Drew Holiday, so that was the safest option to the playoffs.
1: But again, two, if things don't go well,
0: a d's gone.
1: So yeah, far. you're gonna have to start looking at Godfather offers from Boston. We've yeah. already heard around, you know, just oh, what does it take to get an Anthony Davis? Like they've got all of these mm-hmm. assets. You no, know, Danny Ainge is the king of assets, so yeah. there's gonna be a lot of outside noise surrounding this Pelican team. Well, I feel team. like that's, it's that's the th-
0: this Pelican team is like the. Would you say Boogie's a top fifteen player?
1: Top fifteen?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I'd probably say around 13 15 Yeah.
0: So it. This is like the least amount of, like, you're, people are rejecting them not to be in the playoffs, and they have two top fifteen players. I, well,
1: I, they didn't look super great when but they had them that, that's
0: over fifteen games. Two months.
1: <laughs> that's like, more than fifteen the, games, dude. More but, than fifteen games. That nah, come on, man. You're well, being... <laughs> I think
2: that we can all agree we were not sure that 20 games with Nurkic told us everything we need to know about him. And we're not sure that 20 games with Boogie is telling us everything we need to know about the Pelicans.
0: Team mom is really being the podcast mom on this one.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I I think what we should be excited about is there's a lot of storylines about ready to play out. And we're going to see how they all happen.
1: Last topic before we move into fan questions really quick. Spurs. They re-up Patty Mills. That's all they've done. They looked really good in that three quarters against Golden State with Kawhi. We obviously know what happened there. Are they still the second best team in the West? Is, it, is this the year they finally take a step back? I mean, Pau Gasol, like 37. Parker's, what, 35, 36? trying to
0: take their spot, though?
1: Ginobili's forty. I mean, you've Houston. got Houston. You've got OKC. You've got Minnesota. you got Denver. you got Portland. Um, the, New Orleans, apparently. New Orleans? I, I thought about this yesterday while I was on my run. I legitimately could see any of these playoff teams in the West. It wouldn't surprise me if they finished second or 10th. That's how much variance there is in mm. this conference. There is not a clear cut two through 10. Like all of those teams, you could literally put them in the lottery ping pong balls, pull them out. And you probably have just as best uh, chance of picking that than actually watching it play out. I mean, it's so incredible. The depth outside of the, the there's golden state, but hadn't mm-hmm. everybody and a else huge drop. There's just and there's just this cluster of amazing teams that could all win 50 plus games, and you might have a better chance at winning Powerball than predicting those how they finish two through ten. I,
0: I think that you got to give the Spurs, you know, I'm penciling him for second just because they have like the one transcendent coach in the NBA, and that in itself is something that all the other teams don't have. So I trust Pop to get them to the. Second seed it, at worst, third. Just because of the, the the genius of the Spurs, what they are, and I, until we're proven wrong, you just have to assume that Kawhi and whatever bunch of shit that the Spurs get have is gonna do well.
2: That they make and mold into a beautiful sculpture.
0: I mean, um, jo- Jonathan Sivens wasn't a good college basketball player. And is mm-hmm. going to get eight plus million a year. And he wasn't a good college basketball player. And he wasn't a good D-League basketball player. But on the Spurs doing that one thing he's good at.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and when they get Myers Leonard, it's going to be a great spot for him.
0: He's going to be that, that player that all of the Blazers in 2012 said he was going to be. The joking Noah mixed mm-hmm. with. What else did I hear? What did what did people think Myers was going to be in twenty twelve? I don't know. I can't
1: remember that far back.
0: Uh I remember ah,
2: something you don't remember. Finally, I
0: remember. <laughs> I remember getting call ins by Blazer fans that I may or may not have upset in Portland, saying that he was going to be joking Noah. He was going to be this. He was going to be that. Ugh! Once he goes to the Spurs and Pop gets a hold of him. He's going to do.
2: That. He's going to do ten minutes off the bench. He's going to do exactly what. He's going to run exactly the plays that they run for him, and he's going to eat us alive. <laughs> Bless My- his heart.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we all thought Pop would transcend LaMarcus. That yeah, that's happened. on him
0: that's all. That, like that is that is Lamarcus so I'm, I'm just saying <laughs> that there
1: are there is a little bit of
0: you I know you yes, turned Jonathan Simmons players, into a
1: good player yeah. okay but
2: how much do you guys think that is true
1: really I mean oh, I, 100% really you, know, you think stuff, that uh, Jabari Young is locked in like he's he was a Spurs beat writer then he came to CSN for what a year after Haynes uh-huh. left then he went back so he's locked in Um, I honestly don't think there's a big market for Lamarcus out there like teams Know what he is? I mean, he's been in the league since two thousand six, two thousand seven. He's gonna shoot jumpers. Um, he's not the athlete that he once was. And I mean, if he's not, thr- everyone thought, okay, he's going to San Antonio. Oh shit! Like he's gonna turn into this monster like that we saw flashes of. Like he won Player of the Month in Portland. You know, he's a multiple All Star, has all the talent in the world, but it never really translated in San Antonio. Like he he had a couple big games, but he would really shy away like he deleted his all of his social media after a game against Golden State the first year he was there so like he's got I think some of the things going on that Myers does that he just probably should stay off of social and just focus on hoops but I don't know what's going on with Bob Marcus I thought that was the tailor-made situation you know going having a year of tutelage with Tim Duncan um, you don't have to worry about being the man you got Kawhi and Tony I mean this championship culture for the reason it, it, it hasn't worked. I mean I don't know why but I I would think that he's probably pretty upset. Um Spurs probably would like to get something for him but luckily for them he only has 2 years left on his deal and it's not like the max in 2015 isn't the max what it is now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So so they'll, they'll have a chance to move him. I I would be surprised if they if they didn't find a suitor. I think somebody will take take a flyer on him. Didn't like Phoenix to, love him? Yeah, but Phoenix is now going with "quote unquote" the timeline, so that is the Western Conference of trust the process. I have a question
2: about one more former Blazer. What do you think is going to happen with Mason Plumley? That is a
1: great question. That is an awesome question.
2: Such a bummer that it's such a bad market for centers right now.
0: I have a friend who works for the Nuggets, and he told me that Denver is going to re-sign him. Yeah, but
1: they can go over the cap.
0: They're hoping I mean, for 12 to 14 basically what Gallo has. what yeah. Gallo's contract was.
1: But are there any teams right now that actually want to use the cap space and kind of play, you know, Russian roulette with Denver? <laughs> yeah, I mean, Brooklyn has space. I think Atlanta has space. Atlanta's obviously going after New Orleans Noel. Um Sacramento, I know they used all their space on George Hill cuz they and they were Z-Bow. Yeah, so there's not a lot of teams that can kind of
0: They call might their get bluff. a they might get a cheaper deal on Mace just because the Maybe. lack of,
1: I mean, everything's dried up.
0: Yeah. like that market for Mason Plumlee is kind of gone. Like, well, if you have uh, two, that means you're you have competition and you might have to overpay. But if it's just one person, one team that wants you, you kind of have to lower your expectations on, you know, what you're willing to accept. And it's later in the free agency process, which means. Like, I think the first week of free agency you get overpaid, but as the, the the free agency period winds down, you get these bargain contracts. Like just look what uh Miami did with Dion Waiters and uh Johnson. Oh crap, he was really Joe?
1: James Johnson. James Johnson. Oh, James.
0: Yeah. Like he got in the best shape of his life and he's gonna get like thirty plus mil. So like finding yeah. those bargains sometimes works. Look what Miami did in the second half of the year.
1: And the same thing I happened that, with Mo Harkless. We got mm-hmm. him later on in the process, and we were all surprised that it was just ten million a year. I mean, that seemed like a. Uh, this still seems like a good deal.
0: No, like, yeah. Well, wasn't he a free agent? He had one year. of... No, he
1: was restricted. Yeah, okay. Mo Harkless was restricted.
2: I think um, it was also just a bummer for Mason that uh, he didn't really get to be showcased, like in Denver. It, it wasn't a role where he could like yes, I'm you know, playing my heart out in the last year of my contract. He was just kind of like, he came in, he got a few minutes, he had to kind of adjust to this role that he wasn't really used to. I and think I don't that, think he really showed himself to his best advantage.
0: I think if he signs with Denver and they keep the same scheme that worked so well for him, he could do very well in it because of his passing ability. It's just, man, when you have... Joker ahead of you, you can't really get those mm-hmm. minutes. And, and now Paul Millsap and Ken Freed wasn't going to give minutes his minutes away to Mason Plumley. He's he, I mean, he wears his hardest sleeve. He hustles for everything. He's not going to let mm-hmm. someone steal his minutes. So Mason, I mean, I, I know Denver wants to keep him.
2: Well, I or, hope I mean, he, I hope he gets paid. I mean. I would just feel... Uh, it would just be a bummer that, you know, this would happen to be the year that was a bad year for centers.
0: Mm. I mean, just I mean, think, $10 million
2: like, isn't bad, uh, obviously. I mean,
0: getting... Uh, uh, finding a quality center has been pretty pretty easy the last... I mean, Dwight, we make fun of how bad Dwight Howard has been. He still gets double-doubles and got traded for the bad Plumlee and uh, another eh contract, so... Finding a, finding a center has been relatively easy.
1: All right, let's move on. We have a couple of fan questions before we wrap it up. The first one is from OG Jailblazer. Wants to know, players on rookie contracts, you would like to see the Blazers target. Um, he mentions Mario Hazonia. That's kind of who we brought up earlier in this show. Uh, Sage, Tara, is there anyone else drafted around 2014, 2015, 16 that really hasn't panned out? You think Portland should take a flyer on?
2: I have no idea. This one's all, throwing this one completely over to you guys.
0: I would have said D on waiters a year ago. Um, honestly, that, that that's a tough one. I would have to really go into it and think, but <sighs> Mario's a good last one. Last
1: year. Yes. Last year, we all talked about Jalil Okafor. All the, all reports said he sat out a game. He had a mm-hmm. deal on the table with Portland. That's who it was going to be. Um, last year, Willie Colley Stein was the guy I wanted. He, he was reportedly on the way out of Sacramento. They had cousins ahead of him. They took the, the big Greek guy um, in the lottery. He, who I, I think could be a young Tyson Chandler type of player, he is no longer on the market. He is now starting for the Kings and looks like he's going to be um, a beast i would malik take a flyer on...
0: i would take a flyer on malik beasley
1: you think they're ready to move him already
0: i'm trying to think of guys that have been drafted recently that i still like <laughs>
1: uh well there's a couple others that that so aside from amazonia stanley johnson is a player who
0: oh i would love stanley
1: amazing in summer league and i think it's because he was he's he's built Um, he was able to dominate guys at Arizona in high school because he was physically stronger than, than his opposition. I think he still needs to refine his game a bit, but if we're looking at a small forward, I mean, Detroit's not, you know, players don't usually go there and flourish flourish these days. Um, I would take a flyer on him and I really like what the nuggets did in getting Trey Lyles. Uh, whenever I saw him, he was knocking down jumper after jumper. Now with the addition of Paul Millsap, I don't know how much time he's going to get to shine, but um, That's those, are kind of the, those are kind of I the would Those are kind of the guys I liked.
0: I wouldn't fuck with Trey Lyles. Whenever I watched him he would suck. So maybe, maybe. it's recency bias, but every time I had him on my DFS lineup, he would underwhelm me. So, I mean I I like the Stanley Johnson one. I think he has all the makings of being a pretty damn good small forward, but I don't think Detroit's ready to give up on him. I think maybe Herman Gomez from Denver. I I don't know it, it, it that one. That's where Neil he has might be ready
1: to. He might be getting ready to get big minutes though, with Gallo moving on though. I,
0: I think that's where Neil has to make his money is identifying that small four or that player in general that has all the things you're looking for. Like
1: so, another a question from uh, Chris Chris Nordby. All reports are saying Jay Crowder is going to get moved in the sign and trade. However, if he is on the market, if you're Neil O'Shea, what would you offer Boston for Crowder knowing they need to shed salary?
0: Uh, we have our first round pick? Yep. For next year? Yeah.
2: Didn't we give that to, doesn't Cleveland have that? Am I wrong?
1: No, Cleveland gave us theirs, but Thank then we moved for, it for uh, stretching Anderson oh. Vergeau. Anderson Vergeau, yeah. So we're we're finally square. We do not owe any team a future first round pick. I think Ed Davis in the twenty eighteen pick is the most I would offer. Saves them a little bit of salary enough to get under the cap. Does that save them
0: enough it's for
1: uh, saves them Gordon? So if they, they yeah they already renounced uh, Kelly Olinick, they would have to let go of like Jordan Mickey and a couple other small pieces, but it would get them to that 300,000 level. They're so like $300,000 short. Ed makes like $400,000 less than Crowder. So that's what I would do. What does that do for us? It gives us a starting small.
0: A a good small forward defender.
1: Three and D. I would say think Wesley Matthews, small forward version.
0: Okay. Or, uh, Damari Carroll before he got injured, like has a huge like. You could say the same things about Mo Harkless that you do with Jay Crowder, except probably a better defender and a little bit better at three point shooting, but just relentless defensively and will help rebound.
2: Does Mo Harkless have that? That shoot three percent or that uh, three point shooting percentage uh, rider on his contract next year. Or was that just for last year? You know how if he shot a certain three point percentage, a he got the five hundred dollar bonus or five hundred thousand dollar bonus. I, would, I have to find out if that was just for last year. or If we are going to see that every year now,
0: <laughs> would you make that <laughs> trade for that? I mean, if it's that little, would you make that trade? Are you i you asking either. Because I wouldn't.
1: Ed Davis in the 2018 pick? Well, I don't know if it makes us that much better. Yeah, that's how I feel. But the 2018 draft is really top-heavy, and we're probably going to be picking anywhere 18 to 23. Um, We're already the youngest team in the league. He is on a very, very team-friendly contract. Six, seven million dollars a year the next three years. He's going to turn 27 years old tomorrow. Um it's a guy that doesn't have a lot of, you know, mileage under him. I think he's going to be better than anything you can get. And we're already probably going to get rid of Ed Davis at the season's end. So
0: do you think he's, he, how, percentage wise, how much better do you think he is than Mo Harkless?
1: Oh, I think if Mo Harkless is, if we're, if we're talking just ratings, Mo Harkless is probably like a 70, 72. I think Jay Crowder is going to get you at least to an 80, 81. Like, I think he's.
0: That's significantly better.
1: Yes, absolutely. Jay Crowder is a monster. And when I say think of Wesley Matthews, that's exactly what I think. Like, just heart and soul gonna be the defensive monster we need, and he's gonna be able to be a consistent three-point shooter. That's my one knock on Mo is he's not consistent. And I think Jay Crowder is exactly that.
0: Do you think Jay Crowder... i do it, but I would feel some sort of way. If it, I mean, if it's that <laughs> little, I would do it. But if it's like something that makes me think... Hey, this is more than just two pieces that probably won't be here. I, I, I wouldn't do it. I, I think he's great, but
2: it, it kind of just feels to me like we would be doing it for the sake of doing it, yeah. Like without it's... like a long-term plan in place
1: for why we're doing it, because if we're gonna and lose Ed anyway, I mean, exactly. yeah. They... So you got to get something for Ed. So why, I, see, why... I
2: don't think that you necessarily always have to count on we have to get something for somebody.
1: So, I think sometimes
2: I mean, it's okay when people walk away and you have that money to play with.
1: But we're not gonna have money to play with. That's kind of my, my situation. We're I think still the highest cap team in the league. So we're never gonna I mean free agents. Well, we're never gonna come have, to have
2: less less to punish us then.
1: <laughs> well, he still makes the same amount as Ed though. So it's really only like six million um that we would be losing. I just think if you're Damon CJ. So do you, you think see, he'll shoot if, as if well? If you're Damon CJ though, Sage. If you're Damon CJ, you see Russ. Oh, he just got uh, Paul George. You see Kat. They just got Jimmy Butler. You see Jokic. They just got Paul Millsap. And and you just keep looking around like, hey, what the hell is our GM doing? Yes, we offered Paul George. that's, That's all you can ask Neil to do. But if you are able to get a guy that can make us, I think, a seed or two better. I mean, all intended purposes, we're building around Damon CJ. We're not trying to lose games. We're the youngest team in the league. I mean, it seems to me a, a no-brainer to try and go ahead and make this team as, as formidable as possible without sacrificing a ton of the future. Now, I wouldn't give up two picks. I wouldn't give up Von Ley, but we're talking about a guy who's probably not going to get a ton of run in Davis and a pick in the 20s. Um, I think you, you do that all day.
0: I mean, if Dame, if I was GM and Dam said, why aren't you making your move to get me a, a star player now? I'd be like, we got you a special center, I and mean, we got. Yeah, I don't we think got it would be, our, Jay
2: Crowder would
0: yeah, be we got to... our <laughs> big prize three months earlier. We got Joseph Nurkic. I I don't know if Jay Crowder Not is enough. that much better than
1: Mo Harkless. Yes, I love Mo. I'll tell him. But and he I gives mean, us more depth. Like we need consistency from our role players. That's what we. Whenever we lose a game, it's because guys like Chief and Crab and Turner, and Harkless, they go ghost. They completely don't show up. We need consistent players. You know what you're going to get from Dame CJ and now Nurkic. We need guys who can come into the game and they hit shots. They play their role. They play defense. You know what you're going to get from them on a nightly basis. And frankly, we don't have enough of that. And that's why you see so much variance in this team. One night, they'll they'll look like they can beat the Warriors. And the next night, they'll drop a game to the Sixers by 25. Um Again, I don't think we're not talking about championship here. That's long gone; not going to happen for at least five plus years. But if we're trying to trying to win and trying to still build a young team, not you know, this is Jake Crowder still fits the t- Dame's arc, which Neil has always yeah. talked about, his career arc. Um, so I'm not talking about trying to get some dude who's 35, 36, really pushing, you know, past past his playing days. I mean, this guy is he, he hasn't hit his prime yet.
0: All right, you're talking. Uh, with- I, I like J. Kyle. You're talking me into it, but
1: it, it's if, not it's D,
0: if it's Ed Davis in a first, I, sure. That's
1: all I'm saying. It's <laughs> Ed Davis in a first. That's, that's not a lot. Boston probably says no, but go home, Neil. You're drunk. <laughs> <gasps> all right. I think we've had enough fun for the night. My computer's about to die. Um, Tara, uh, let us know where our fans can, can find you and your content.
2: Um, I am on the blazers edge podcast and you can find me on Twitter at TCB Biggs. and I will be down at summer league, um, from Sunday to th- for Tuesday. So if anybody recognizes me from my profile picture, wants to come up and say hi, I would love to say hi.
1: Definitely give Tara a follow. She's one of my, my favorite fans to interact with as evidenced by the fact she's been on the podcast, uh, <laughs> multiple times. Um, Thank you.
0: And I I believe you're doing something like a off season book club. What is that?
2: That is right. Sage, thank you for reminding me fellow participant in the off season book club. (laughs) I totally forgot about that. Um, Yes. um, I, uh, I wanted to think of something fun that we could do during the dog days of summer. And I thought we were going to have a little bit of a break between the draft and free agency. And that plan all got blown to hell. So later on this summer, um, we're going to all read the same book. It's kind of like everybody reads. Um, So we're going to have a book club for people who want to read an awesome, super fun basketball book called Loose Balls by Terry Pluto. Um, We're going to talk about it, do a podcast about it later on in July. It's a book about the American Basketball Association, the ABA. It's super entertaining, really easy to read. And um, it's a great summertime read, you know, a beach read. It's like backstory about all these guys. Um, It's told from multiple points of view. It's just basically, um, you know, transcribed interviews with people who participated uh, in the ABA if anybody has seen Semi-Pro with Will Ferrell, one of my favorite movies, um, it is uh, loosely based on a lot of the ABA stories that come out of this book. It's a great book, and uh, we're going to talk about it later on in July, so get yourself a copy from who, the library. Who,
0: who, what is your favorite story of it? Is it the um, St. Louis? Is it I, the Denver dominance? What I'm
2: is- fascinated by the Larry Brown and Doug Moe mm-hmm. um best bro uh combination you know Larry Brown who I'm it's weird because I like totally know who Larry Brown is but I never knew anything about Doug Mm Moe but for their college their ABA careers and even when they transferred into the NBA they were like practically inseparable they worked together both on the court and then off the court when they became coaches. And so I was just really interested in that. But my favorite story is the Bob Costas Mm -hmm. chapter.
0: Yeah. That that St. Louis team was very oddly run to say the least.
2: Yeah. There were some, there's fun stories. How about you? You read the book. Oh yeah. Favorite Uh, part.
0: You know, the St. Louis of obviously, but hearing about David Thompson and his issues with addiction was just sad but super enlighten- enlightening because NBA fans may not know who David Thompson is but he's one he was one of the best basketball players for a long time suffering with the disease of addiction and if he he's like the greatest what if story what if he mm-hmm. wasn't didn't enjoy cocaine what if he wasn't Addicted to apple. I mean, him, him and Melvin Barnes are huge what-ifs. Yeah. So. I yeah, mean,
2: it's a great book. Super fun, And like you said, it really is an, enlightening because it was a time where both leagues were struggling to survive. And you learn more about um, the kind of challenge that the American Basketball Association gave to the National Basketball mm, Association. Competition and all uh, that. Yeah, I mean, it really focuses on the players' Um, but it, you also get a little bit of glimpse into uh, like the management and some of the like the the crazy efforts that they went to to just keep the teams afloat.
0: Indeed, I read part of it and then I bought the book and then they actually voice the actual players to read their interviews. Oh, and it's that is such a captivating listen. If you have, you got it as book on tape, Audible. If you oh. use the code Holy Backboard on Audible audible slash holy backboard you get a free download of the book and it like the 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 production values are amazing so you should check it out i think i think i could just send you the book but anyone who's listening you could use (sighs) audible.com slash holy backboard get you a free audiobook download
2: Awesome, and we have the hashtag uh, #hashtag Offseason Book Club for anybody who wants to like uh, follow along and share. Like as we've been reading, we share a little bits of uh, things that we enjoyed about the story. So #hashtag Offseason Book Club, and then we'll have more information about when we're going to podcast
0: about it. Blazer fans, get used to hearing this voice. I'm going to be in your ears for a lot in the next year.
1: <laughs> All right, I think that about wraps it up. Uh, you can find this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. At Holy Backboard and at Holy Backboard PDX, we're on social: Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. At Holy Backboard, Sage. Thank you again for producing this. Thank you again, Tara, for being a fabulous guest. Uh, my computer has been running on like four or five percent this last ten <laughs> minutes, so I was just, I was hoping like it's great stories, but I was like, okay, we, we got to wrap it up um, so we can sign this one off. But this will definitely not be uh, the last time we have you on a board, Tara. Uh, have a blast at Summer League. I can't wait to follow along and. Let us know how how Swanigan and Collins adapt to uh, the, the the NBA. I will um, definitely
2: check back in with you guys. Thanks, y'all, for having me.
0: Check out Sage Digital. Follow us on Twitter. I'm working on other podcasts, which will be out soonish once Evan M gives me a logo. All right. Oh, shout out to Stu. He listens every week and he does a really cool uh, video game stream, and I'm happy to shout him out.
1: Yes, yeah, Stu. West Albany. All
0: right. Peace. Go Blazers. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go.